I mean, what could possibly be so disturbing about the Magi's inquiry? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Well, it was an unsettling claim for King Herod. That's what. Born king of the Jews? Born king? Really? I'm the king of the Jews by Caesar of Rome's own appointment. Herod saw the baby Jesus as a potential rival and usurper of his throne. And Herod was not one to take such news lying down. He had already proved himself to be a ruthless and cunning murderer. Herod was the son of Antipater, an Edomite, that is a descendant of Esau, a practicing Jew, but really of Arab descent. He became friends of Mark Antony and Julius Caesar, who conferred Roman citizen upon him. He ruled for 33 years with blood dripping from his family history of cruelty and brutality. What a legacy King Herod had. 35 B.C. Aristobulus, the 16-year-old, yes, 16-year-old, high priest, was murdered by Herod's servants. Why? Because Herod feared that this good-looking young man would win the affection of Antony in Egypt and that Antony might support him as the king of Judea instead of Herod. So Herod took matters into his own hands. He transported Aristobulus down to Jericho, to Alexandria's palace, for a nighttime swim. And hidden in the darkness, Herod's servants dunked the young man underwater until he was drowned. 35 B.C. Joseph, Herod's uncle, was executed for sharing family secrets with Miriam, Herod's wife. Obviously, he didn't want her to know whatever those secrets were. 29 B.C. Miriam, Herod's wife, and Alexandra, Herod's mother-in-law, were executed in a fake assigned assassination plot schemed up by Herod's sister, Salome, and in a mock trial that followed, Herod acted as the prosecutor and as the judge. And Miriam was convicted and sentenced to death along with her mother, Alexandra. 28 B.C., the next year. Kostabar, Herod's brother-in-law, was executed. Herod's sister, Salome, wanted a divorce from her husband, Kostabar, but the law didn't allow for it. 
So fortunately for Salome, and unfortunately for Kostabar, she framed her husband and told Herod that Kostabar was planning a coup. Several men, including Kostabar, the king's own brother-in-law, were rounded up and executed. 7 B.C. Herod's sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, were executed. These two boys were the son of Queen Miriam, whom Herod had already killed. And even though Herod intended to leave to them his kingdom, they disdained him greatly, because they knew about Amam and how she had died. And vicious Salome struck again. That's Herod's sister. This time concocting rumors about the two boys and turning Herod's heart against his own sons. The king took the two intelligent and handsome men to the city of Sebast, where he had married their mother, and there he had them strangled to death. Herod then chose another son, Antipater, to be his heir. Okay, but only three years later, in 4 B.C., Antipater was executed. This son was born to Herod by Doris, a woman without nobility, but Herod chose Antipater as heir after killing his stepbrothers. Antipater grew weary of waiting for the throne, and when Doris was implicated in a plot against the king, Antipater was thrown in prison where he sat for several years. One day, towards the end of Herod's life, the prisoner prematurely thought that the king had died, and he ordered the guard to release him so that he could become the appropriate king. Instead, the guard went to check, and upon finding the king still alive, he was ordered to go and kill the presumptuous prince, which he did. There is a blood trail on King Herod that is unbelievable. It's full of intrigue and cruelty. We may observe that the older Herod became, the more paranoid he became. He was suspicious of everyone. Everyone. The Magi arrived towards the end of Herod's life, and the news which they considered joyous, who come to worship the king of the Jews, Herod considered ruinous. Wait, wait a minute. All Jerusalem, we read, are troubled with the news of the Magi. We could say it this way, that when Herod was upset, all the kingdom was upset. Because he was a tyrant. People had no way of knowing 
when the hammer would fall. Herod's rage was unpredictable. His brutality was ever amazing and something to be feared. And the people had mixed feelings about him. Why? Well, he did wonderful projects for them. He built aqueducts that brought water from the mountain regions into Jerusalem. Running water. Think of that in that day and age. He built gardens and bathhouses and libraries and the magnificent temple built for worship that carried his name, Herod's Temple. But none of these things pacified the people's hearts, knowing that Herod was like he was like a tinderbox, which could explode in a fury without notice. And if a man would murder his own wife and his own sons, Think of it, where did the people's safety lie? I mean, do we have a prayer if this guy loses it? In our account, Herod inquired of the theologians, and they asked them where the Christ child was to be born, verse 4. Oh, boy. Without a moment's hesitation, they answered, Oh, in Bethlehem, in Judea. And they quoted from the prophet, Micah 5, verse 2, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Matthew 2, verse 6. Oh boy, with that information in hand, Herod secretly called the Magi, and this is what he said to them. Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I, too, may go and Verse 7, verse 8. So, off the Magi went. Led to the very house, not a stable this time, but to the very house, verse 11, of Jesus' abode, led there by the star that had been their compass for their entire journey. And there they found the toddler now. It's not a little babe anymore. He's the toddler, Jesus, along with his mother, Mary. And as they bowed down to worship, they presented the boy king with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Verse 11, royal gifts for a royal king. Their charge from King Herod was to return to him and to report to him the location where Jesus was found. But, verse 12 states, And having been warned in a dream 
not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. Matthew 2, verse 12. These magi were foreigners to Palestine. They may not have known of Herod's reputation, but had they returned to Jerusalem, they would have been unwitting, complicit in Herod's slaughter of the baby infants of Bethlehem that is recorded in the scripture. And they did not return. Herod was incensed. He called his intelligent guys and says, this star appeared at such and such a date. And his magician said, well, that means hmm, if it was back then. It means the kid's about two years old. Okay. So Herod sent his soldiers into Bethlehem and slaughtered every two-year-old child and younger in a tremendous bloodbath. This was King Herod. But more importantly, this was the world in which Christ was born. He had a price on his head as a child. What do we learn? Well, one thing we learn is that true science, that is unbiased, unbiased investigation and analysis, has no conflict with the Bible if it's true science. In actuality, truth is singular, not plural. This has been a great game changer in our day when the promotion of individual truth, we hear it all the time. People will talk about, well, that's my truth, and you're entitled to your truth. They believe that truth is flexible that it is only to be found in the eye of the beholder. It is relative. It's not absolute. It's not the same all the time. It's not the same for all ages, for all cultures. There's a misunderstanding that change means that truth changes too, when in actuality, if something is true, it is true for all times. And if it does change, it means that our understanding has been flawed, and we need to learn more and discover more, but new discoveries do not mean an evolution of truth but rather an increase of knowledge about truth. Let me give you an example. It was once believed that the earth, the earth, the terra firma, 
was the center of our solar system. Ptolemy, the ancient Greek philosopher, popularized this theory, although it was believed by Aristotle and Plato before him. Flaws in the observations gave rise to the Copernicum, or heliocentric theory, that is, the sun, not the earth, is the center of our universe. Nevertheless, Ptolemy's earth-centered theory was workable. I mean, he worked it all out. He had the astronomical predictions of Ptolemy. Models were used to prepare astrology and astronomy charts for over 1,500 years. Wow. The geocentric model held sway into the early modern age, but from the late 16th century onward, we gradually superseded by the were superseded by the heliocentric model of Copernicus, Galileo, and Kepler. And while Galileo did not invent the telescope, he perfected it with stronger and more accurate lenses, which enabled astronomers to search and chart the heavens. Say, well, what's your point? Did truth change? from the earth-centered theory of our universe to the sun-centered theory? Now, the sun was and is the center of our system and has been that way since the dawn of creation. What changed was man's understanding. The result a new theory proposed to align with the new discovery. Facts came to the fore through better designed instruments for viewing and making measurements of the heavens. And as to our text in which the Magi credit a special star which led them to Jerusalem, which they identified as his star, the star, they say, verse 7, verse 9, verse 10. We know that even in our time, new stars are being formed daily. MIT scientists believe this is the result of volatile gases forming in clouds, pulling into a tight bundle to a central location of gravity. They establish this heat. An explosion takes place, forming a new star. And the fact that atmospheric gases coalesce, heat up, explode, does not alter the creative power of God who made the gases. You see, the Bible gives results. It doesn't go into the mechanics of how you got the results. Isaiah puts it this way. 
He, God, sits enthroned above, listen to this, Isaiah, written 800 years before the New Testament, an Old Testament author, prophet. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Not a revelation to us. The circle of the earth and its peoples are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. Isaiah 40, verse 22. The circle of the earth. No, you mean the earth is round, not square, as the ancients believed? They taught you could walk to the end of the top plane of the square, but watch when you get there close to the edge, because you could fall off and be lost. But here in the scripture, God was saying, well, you don't, you're not going to fall off because the earth isn't square. It's a circle. It's round. The stars, like all Creation lead to Christ in true worship. Mankind does not profit from creation unless and until it leads them to acknowledge and worship the Creator, who is God in the flesh. We have missed the boat if we switch our faith, our allegiance, our worship to creation away from the creator. Moses thus warned Israel. He knew (laughs) the propensity of men. Here's what he told them. When you look up into the sky and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be entice into bowing down to them and worshiping them. Things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Deuteronomy 4, verse 19. Boy, did he nail it on the head. Most idolatry in foreign countries has to do with what? The things in the heaven. The stars, the planets, all of those things. This is precisely the great apostasy the world has done. Paul tells us how this happened. He writes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. Since what may be known about God's plain to them, because God made it plain to them. I'm reading scripture. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. Really? Oh, okay being understood from what has been made. 
so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged, they exchanged, get this, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like uh, mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. They ex- I'm reading scripture. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 1, verse 18 and following. There's great digression in knowledge. And who is the creator? Paul testifies of Christ Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. And the Magi acknowledge this in their search. The king that they sought was none other than God, worthy of their worship. Their worship. No more little stone statues. No more looking to the stars or anything else. We need to learn that men can know the scripture. They can know chapter and verse. That said, and yet, they can miss the Savior. They can miss him. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. Theology, like any other discipline of study, can be pursued, even mastered by people whom we might designate as scholars in their field of expertise. Herod did not hesitate, verse 4, to call together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, whom he knew would have the answer to his question. What was his question? Where is Christ? Where is the Messiah to be born? Where is he, where is he to be born? Boom! Without hesitation, without having to refer to their theological manuals in the library, they answered Herod immediately in Bethlehem, (coughs) in Judea. (coughs) They knew without thinking about it. Well, how did they know that? 
These were the men who made it their life's work to study Jewish law and history in the Old Testament scriptures. Yet it is in this same group of men who in later life orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. As one who had blasphemed God by claiming God as his father. Oh, that you oh, that's blasphemy. If they were sincere students of God's word, seeking to discover and to worship the Messiah, why did they not do a little, I mean, just a little research based upon their own knowledge that Bethlehem town was prophesied to be the birth site of the promised Messiah? Let's just start there with basics. Even a cursory investigation would have revealed that Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, Jesus born in Bethlehem, who moved to Lazarus. Verse 23. Any first-year Bible school student could have discovered this had they had a mind to. Beware of Bible study that fills your head with facts about God but does little or nothing to warm your heart and strengthen your faith in God. Jesus put it this way to the crowd. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people... Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, they're great at lip service. They know the right things to say. They know when to say them. He goes on. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Oh, oh. He goes on. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. What's the theological conclusion? He goes on. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Mark 7, verse 6 and four. Brethren, the Bible was not given, so you... And I could argue theology. It was given so that we could come to know and love and serve and obey 
the God of these studies. Theology without submission to the God of which it speaks is just rules taught by men. You know, it would have been a lot more meaningful and profitable to these religious officials whom Herod summoned for information about the Messiah had they said to the Magi, well, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. That's a, we know that much. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And uh, if you guys don't mind, if you have no objections, we'd like to go with you. Well, there would have been something to think about. You anything better to do today than discover the Savior of the world? coming from God himself. Paul writes it this way, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods, that is, idols. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. All the accoutrements you see of formalized worship with man-made theology that emphasizes man's worth, man's works, and denies the grace of Christ. And here was his conclusion. I fear for you, says Paul, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Galatians 4, verse 85. I came to you, Galatians, to preach the gospel to you so that you could be saved. And I thought you were convinced. I thought you believed. I thought you turned away from those little stone statues and gold trinkets and so forth to worship the true God of heaven. But I'm wondering, since you're turning back to your idols, have my I wasted my effort on you? Brethren, we need to learn that people can appear sincere worshipers of God who are murderers at heart. When Herod commissioned the Magi with his task, with this task, go, make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go. And worship him. Verse 8. Herod came across so sincerely, so believable, that the Magi had to be warned in a dream, reading scripture, warned by God, don't go back to Herod. Verse 12. 
they had to be warned by God for them to choose an alternative route, which they did do, and they did defy Herod. Praise God for that. Now the question for us is how can we tell who's real and who's a fake? Good question. Jesus gave this litmus test. Here it is. Out of the words of the Savior himself. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, here's the test. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Matthew 7, verse 16 and following. Jesus also made the connection between lies and murder when he described Satan saying of him he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. John 8, verse 44. And John warns us, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. What's the reason for that? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 1 John 4, verse 3 verses. So you, your friends, your relatives, your business associates, sadly, even one of your own fellow church members, maybe, Nothing more than hypocrite. And hypocrisy is not always easy to spot. We need to be realistic about our own hearts before God. We need to remove the plank that's beclouding our own vision so that we do not treat people with false assurance. Oh, yeah, I, I'm glad you're a Christian. The question is not how much they know about God, but whether God knows them. A person known by God will produce righteous and godly fruit. Not perfectly, because we're not perfect in this life. 
but we're on the trail. The narrow road that leads to eternal life. So these magi, bless their heart, they were on the right trail. And Herod kind of waylaid them up or tried to. Oh yeah, go find this um, this um, Messiah that you're looking for. I'm looking for him too. And if you find where he is, just come and tell me. And I'd like to go worship him too. Well, we know from the history in the next chapters of the Bible, Herod's idea of going and worshiping him too is to take his army of soldiers into Bethlehem and slaughter every child there two years old and younger. That was his idea of why he needed the magic. In our own culture, not, not the United States, thankfully. But we have been re- reading about it in the papers. The Arab culture coming into Palestine and killing the babies, cutting off their heads, dashing them against the wall in the name of Allah. Let me tell you, Allah is not Jehovah, the God of the Scriptures. Allah and his associates are dripping with innocent blood. May the Lord give us wisdom. Boy, I mean, you need wisdom to to live in today's world. You got this person and that person and this theology and this study and so forth. Get in the book. See what God says in his word about end times and studies and truths of salvation. Study the person Jesus. You can't go wrong with him. And ask the Lord to open your heart and give you repentance and give you insight as to what's true, what's not true, what's fake, what's real. And he will answer. Lord, we thank you for your word. How precious it is to us. Here we are reading the scriptures ordained by you thousands of years ago, written down by your own disciple, in this case, Matthew. And the whole confrontation with Herod by the Magi. A Christmas story that... um, Doesn't sound too pleasant. There's no jingle bells here. The sad reality that a wicked king out to protect himself from any rival is willing to kill anyone, anytime, anywhere that he may maintain his throne. 
We know that bloodthirsty men are not of God. You said of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. So are we children of Satan or children of Christ? Grant us the faith to believe in Christ and to confess our sins to be forgiven of you. Amen. Our closing hymn is the Brown Hymnal. And it's number 160. 160. Find the hymn, will you stand with me, please? Our Lord, at this time of the year, we celebrate in our Christian faith the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the cross. Started out as we've learned today, and 
He didn't have an easy start in life at all. He had those in authority and power and money and pressure. He had all of those things against him, all seeking his life, seeking to kill him, seeking to destroy anything of any kingdom that he might want to establish. But it were not for your intervention, things might have turned out much worse. But praise to God, you intervened because this was your son. And not only so, but he was the designated Savior for mankind. We must trust in him. The fact of his innocence, the fact of his pure life, the fact of his sinless life. May he be our stand-in for us. We need a stand-in, Lord. We need someone to step into the right place for us before your throne, before your judgment seat, so that we're not condemned. We need someone to take our place. And we don't have to hunt for that person. You provided that in your own beloved son. Who does that? Who gives his son to help scoundrels and thieves and sinners and selfish people and wicked people. Who does that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. May we grasp that today. May this be a special Christmas when we think on these things to the praise and glory of our Savior. Amen. We are dismissed.